Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. For he is a rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. For he is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. took a look at worship and what it's going to look like for us, not just in this life, but in the life that is to come and kind of how we will be with God and that God will be with us. Worship itself is going to look very different in the future. 
And tonight, what I want us to focus on is the worship that is even right now happening in the heavens. And what I mean by in the heavens is both kind of the spiritual heaven, but also the physical heaven as well. And I think that we'll see from the scriptures about, you know, what I mean about how worship is taking place within the heavens. Whenever we look up, we can see that worship is taking place there. So let's take a look at a few examples. Uh, the first kind of two passages I want us to, to look at come from Isaiah and then also the book of Revelation. So we have one passage in the Old Testament, one passage in the New Testament. And these are kind of I don't know, there's some of my personal go-to passages that I, I love to look at and to see what that worship takes place in the heavens. They're not the only ones that you can take a look at and that you can see this type of worship, but yet they are two that really uh, speak a lot to me, and I think there's so much that we can learn from it that I believe it's these are different passages that we can revisit time and time again and learn something else from. So let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 6. And let's see what we can learn from there. Now, here in this chapter, we're going to be introduced to these angelic, heavenly beings. I don't know exactly how you want to call it. What they're called in the text is they're, they're called seraphim. So let's look at this together uh, about this image. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Okay, see, already in this chapter, we get this beautiful description about what Isaiah sees. Where is he? Well, he's in the temple. He's in the throne room of God. And this language goes back and forth about if he's in the throne room and that, that God is sitting on his throne, but it's also this temple. That's because that's what the temple was. The temple was to be the throne of God, kind of uh, God's earthly throne, um, you know, I guess you might want to also say that it could be sort of like God's heavenly throne here on earth, maybe. I, I don't know. There's a few different ways that you could kind of word that. I don't know the best way for us to take a look at it, but the temple is closely connected with this throne room and with the throne and king uh, that our God is. But here we see these creatures, these seraphim. They have these six wings. So, I mean, this would have just been amazing to see this sight. And then these, these angelic beings, these seraphim. They're crying out. They're calling out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I think there's several things that we can learn about our own worship here on earth from the worship that takes place in the heavens. We've got to recognize that the Lord is almighty. He is holy, not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. This is the only attribute really that we get kind of repeated three times. Uh, there might be some attribute of God that gets repeated, you know, maybe twice, but that's not what it is. It's not just holy, holy. It's holy, holy, holy. This is extreme emphasis on how great our God is and how holy he is, how glorious he is. But whenever Isaiah sees this scene, he recognizes He's not really supposed to be there. You know, after all, there was only one person that was allowed to be in that inner circle of what the temple was. You know, that most holy place. There was only one person. That's the high priest. 
And if I'm not mistaken, Isaiah is not that guy. And if you want to get even more specific, even that one person who was allowed to enter in was only allowed to enter in once every year. So, I mean, it was a room that really people didn't visit. Uh, I mean, people didn't visit like at all. He knew he wasn't supposed to be there, but yet he's there. How is he going to respond? Verses five through seven. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. I mean, Isaiah knows he's not supposed to be there, but then he recognizes he is unworthy. He is just unclean. What do we do whenever we recognize that we are unclean and that we are in the presence of God? I mean, technically, doesn't this kind of happen like every time that we come to God? I mean, if we are coming to him just ourselves, we're unworthy. We're unclean. We're always like that. We're always in that state. But here in this case, what happens was there's this, this live coal that was taken from the altar and it cleansed him. Well, if we can uh, look through our own lens and our own lives, we see that Jesus Christ and his blood has cleansed us uh, just as much, if not really more so, than what that live coal was able to cleanse him. That live coal is a similar type of image, though, that whenever it touched Isaiah, it made him holy. It made him pure. Well, Jesus Christ has done that for us. So we can approach God's throne and we can see him. So after Isaiah was able to approach God's throne like this, how does he respond? Verse eight, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. That was Isaiah's reaction. Whenever Isaiah recognized, I'm not supposed to be there. I'm unclean. I'm unworthy. Well, his sin was atoned for. Then whenever he was in the presence, then he recognized the Lord needed something done. And he immediately jumped up and he said, here am I, send me. Can't we learn something about that type of reaction? You know, that same type of reaction that Isaiah had? I believe we can. I believe he's a wonderful example for us to learn from. And we see that all of this takes place in this kind of vision that Isaiah has of this worship that is around the throne of God. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And it's also worship that I believe we will one day be able to kind of take part in. In fact, I also believe that we can take part in it here and now. Like if we can recognize that every time we come together and we worship, what we are doing is we are joining in this worship that already is taking place in the heavens. Now we see that all the way back in Isaiah. We saw that these angelic beings, they are worshiping God. But you know, they also are doing that right now too. We also see this in the book of, of Revelation. So let's turn there and let's see a very similar example is what we saw in, uh, in Isaiah 6. But let's look at Revelation chapter 4. Now, whenever John, uh, this is the, the beginning of the vision of Revelation. And in John chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, he's, John is describing his vision. And he's describing these creatures that he is seeing. But listen to this description, by the way. You'll notice they're very similar to that description of the seraphim that we already looked at. Verses 8 through 11. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. 
Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. When you look at this example here, we see these four living creatures that are surrounding this throne of God. And it actually says here that day and night, they never stop saying this. What are they saying? The same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Like I said before, every single time that we gather together and we worship, what we are doing is we are joining in this heavenly worship that's already taking place all the time. They never stop saying this. This worship is going on 24-7. I believe we can learn something about this worship. I believe we can learn that our God is holy. He was, he is, he is to come. He always will be. He always has been. He is doing great things. And he's always been doing great things. The next chapter in Revelation 5, we see this, this image about this worship taking place in the heavens. It continues on. So let's keep reading. This time, chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Now, this passage here, you might say that, uh, well, you know, where is all this worship taking place? I want you to understand something about the word worship. The word worship, it means the same thing about falling down. So every time that you read about them falling down before the lamb like this, they are worshiping, quite literally, they are worshiping the lamb. They are worshiping him who was slain. He was slain in our place. It's his blood that he was able to purchase us. He purchased us with his own blood. We also see that we are combined with this worship. Did you notice that in verse 8, it says that they have these golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people? Do you think perhaps some of your prayers are filling those bowls of incense? I believe they are. I believe that's what this text tells us. And we see these great things that God has done. And we are part of this story. And we recognize um, what the Lamb did for us. We see the rest of this story. But let's keep reading here because this scene is not over with. There's still more. There's more worship in the heavens that takes place. Verses 11 through 14. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 
Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. So we see this, this worship that takes place. We see that the Lamb is worthy of all of our worship. We also see that it's not just this worship that takes place in the, in the heavens with these angelic creatures, but it's also every single creature in heaven and on earth, as verse 13 says. If you want to get even more technical and describe every single way that you could possibly describe any creature, you find out it's under the earth also, it's in the sea, all that's in them, everything is praising God. This is the type of worship that takes place all the time. So as we look at the worship that takes place in the heavens, it's important to recognize that this heavenly worship, it's not just the spiritual beings that are participating in this worship. There's also what we might call kind of physical beings in the sense of even the things that are within the heavens are praising God. We see several different passages in the scriptures that talk about that. One of the earliest passages of scripture in Job chapter 38, we start to see this type of description. Job 38 verses one through three. This is where God puts Job in his place. And we read, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. What are these questions? What are these answers that God wants? Keep reading. Verses four through seven. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? This passage right here tells us that this worship that took place in the heavens, the morning stars, the angels, all of them have been worshiping since the very beginning, since God laid the earth's foundation. So this worship, it has continued on for thousands of years, and it will continue on throughout all eternity. The God that we serve is worthy of our worship. Let's make sure that we join in with this worship. What does that look like? And what does it look like whenever we as humans recognize how great this power is? Well, in Job 38, we find out this is some of the earliest writings in the Bible, but there's also even from some of the latest writings in the, in the Old Testament, uh, there's mention about how the Israelites recognized the power of God and that he was worthy of their worship. Let's turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 3. Let's, let's look at this occasion together and let's see how Israel praises God and how they worship God. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. This is what it looks like whenever a people is devoted to reading God's word and responding to it. They spend a lot of time doing it. And these people are doing that and they're worshiping the Lord their God. What did that worship look like? Verses five and six now. They said, Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. 
You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You notice how this passage, they recognized that the Lord is the only Lord that truly is. You know, you alone are Lord. That's what they say in verse 6. But then he's the one who made the heavens, even the highest heavens. So as high as you can think of and the most, those, the most you know, far-reaching things, the highest heights, God made them all. And he made all the starry host within them. And then we also find out that the multitudes of heaven worship you. They recognize this throughout the Old Testament. They recognize this throughout the New Testament. I believe we need to recognize it today as well. I want to look at two passages from the book of Psalms. And I want us to see some of this kind of poetic language that describes this worship that takes place in the heavens and this worship that we can take part with. Let's look first at Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. You look at these descriptions about our God, and we find out that the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, the heavens. If you want to look at it in the spiritual sense of the heavens, yes, that's true. If you want to look at it in the physical sense of the heavens and just kind of what is in the sky, all of it declares the glory of God. All of it proclaims his wonderful works. We see in verse 4 that their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Are we listening to this message that the heavens declare the glory of God? Psalm 8 puts it this way. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and all the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I mean, when you look at this passage, we see just like how Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. We see from verse three, when I consider your heavens, when is the last time that you have considered the heavens? I mean, when is the last time that you have considered the heavens and also the worship that comes from the heavens? Now, personally, I love going out at night. And, you know, since I've had kids of my own and, you know, bedtime kind of comes a little bit earlier, I don't do this quite as much as I used to. But, you know, I used to especially go out at night whenever the stars were out. And it's just it's so beautiful to see how each star it just brings glory to God and it can't help but just shout the praise of our God who is alive. How often do we consider the heavens? How often do we consider this worship that comes from them? 
Whenever we look up at the heavens, whenever we consider the heavens, it allows us to recognize, really, at least for me, it, it allows me to recognize how small I am. When you start to think about how really even just how small the earth is, but then if you start to realize how small of a part of the earth you take up, it's amazing whenever you start to consider like verse four of what the, the psalmist is starting to recognize. And he says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? What are we? You know, compared to the heavens, what are we? Recognize how much God cares for you. Recognize how much God cares for each and every one of us. In response to that, you know, what is mankind? Remember what we looked at from Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, that new song that they were singing. I'm going to read that new song again. And it's about God. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have set them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So what is mankind that God is mindful of them? He cares so much about us. We were made in the image of God. We were made to worship God. We were made to do a great deal of things, a great deal of good. Here on this earth. When you look at this, you find out from, from that statement there that God cares so much for us. The Lamb, you know, Jesus Christ, the Lamb, with His own blood, He purchased for God all of us. And also, He's made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God. Let's live up to our calling. Let's do that. Will you live up to that calling? Will you join in? This worship that takes place 24-7 in the heavens, will you join in with that worship so that we will glorify God and make sure that his name receives this glory and honor and praise because he is our God. Arise, arise, a master calls to you. Arise, arise today. He calls for you to go and spread the news of Oh, my.